Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be kind of talking about a little bit of everything. I'll be breaking down like five days of coverage and that is because I have been dealing with a cold and I think Monday was my last episode. As I'm recording this, this is Saturday um, and a lot of stuff has passed by. This was probably the most important week all year long and the timetables just got screwed over. So yeah, I'm very upset that I was sick, but I still am, like, colds, it, it doesn't matter if you are going to take medicine, it's still going to be 7 to 10 days, if you don't take medicine, it's going to be 7 to 10 days, so, I, you know, I'm like day 5 to 6, so hopefully in a couple days, I'll be good to go, but yeah, I mean, I really apologize, like, I sound 100 times better than I did yesterday, I promise you, I just could not talk, and it was so, so annoying, because I'm, like, watching all this stuff happen, i like, I need to talk about this. So, yeah, uh, hopefully this does not happen again. This is, like, the longest time I've been gone since, I think, since, like, November or something crazy like that. I have not missed more than, like, a day during the regular season. So, I, I'm really upset about it, honestly. Like like I said, timing could not have been worse. Had a lot of things planned for this week, too, uh, including one that, that's still, you know, in the works. I'll, I'll have... Uh, talk about that when I'm fully healthy, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of big stuff that was going on this week, and I just got sick, so it's really bad, but uh, I'm, I'm good to go now, and I'm just gonna be breaking down everything, so when I quit talking to you guys on Monday, the big deal was this Kings game we had on Tuesday, and I think we all kind of remember the gist of this, like, I don't think I need to break down, like, play by play what happened, because we already know what happened, this was Tuesday, so the Kings won 122 to 106. The Thunder, they looked like they were in the driver's seat to start this game out because the Kings, they were not playing a, a huge amount of the guys. And they did not have, you know, the typicals and the De'Aaron Foxes, the Tyrese Halliburtons. I think Harrison Barnes was gone too. They had Buddy Heald, but it was still kind of wrecked like it was in the first game of that baseball set. And for the Thunder... They had a weird lineup where they didn't have Ty Jerome, SGA, he's always been out, and Teo Maladon was out, so there were no point guards, and the starting unit that they kind of threw out there was pretty weird in the sense that Alexei Pokashevsky was actually running the shooting guard to start out the game, and point guard, I think it was like Kendrick Williams, but really mismatched lineup, but it started out pretty, pretty well, and they didn't really have like a sole area at first they sh- they started the game two of seven but then sacramento just got super cold and they went on a 12-0 streak and one of the big plays from that one darius Baisley, he was like you know running through the middle of the lane fast break and he went around like around the back with uh with the basketball like a jason kid move damn near um you know spins it around and then goes up like he's gonna shoot a layup and flings it to I think it was uh, Moses Brown, maybe, right under the rim, and he finished it off. So that was a really cool play. And, I mean, overall, they were still very, very solid. So, I mean, Oklahoma City, they look like they would have been good. They were trying to mark it up to, like, you know, 10 points. I think they got it as high as 9. But they settled being up 5 in that first quarter. A lot of it just had to do with how they were doing. Uh, Shot 4 of 6 from downtown. Inside was feeling it. And, you know, they looked good. 
And to start out the second quarter, it was pretty controversial because Dagnall decided to put the second unit in. And, you know, technically, like, normally in the rotations, you see the second unit go in, of course. But this was a really trimmed-down roster, and a lot of the momentum was kind of taken away when the bench was thrown out there um, in the first. So it's kind of like one of those moves, you know. If the momentum's not going your way, you throw in what was working. He did not want to do that. Uh, it, it did not matter, though. So the Thunder, they got out. They had a 14-point lead because they started out 9 of 9 from the floor. And it seemed like they would have just won the game at that point. Sacramento was not feeling it. But luckily, they got hot right around the 5-minute mark in the quarter. Went on a 14-5 run, cut the lead down to a single possession, and pretty much made every shot in the book to get there. And they were still just one possession away at the halftime horn. They were down 65-62 to 62 at half. It's pretty crazy because OKC was shooting 62% at the time. That was the best they've done in a half this year. And they were shooting 6 of 8 from downtown. Everyone scored. 9 to 10 guys in that rotation scored that first half except for Jalen Hort. So all the love was being spreaded around where Sacramento, you know, they only shot 47% and from 3... They went 9 of 22, so they had more shots, but a lot of that kind of ground had to be covered uh, a bit at the line, too. But yeah, I mean, they went into that second half. The momentum wasn't all like entirely in the Thunder's way, but they definitely, you know, were in the hunt for kind of that win there, and it was a little bit scary watching it. But then the Kings, they went on a 6-2 run, took the lead, and then they closed out the quarter 22-8. to so, going in the fourth, they were up 20 points, 103 to 83. A lot of ground was covered. So, I mean, that third quarter really was the major swing. I think it was a 41 to 19 quarter. And the fourth quarter was really nothing um, all that important, to be honest. Fima Kailuk played pretty much all of it. He had eight points in the quarter. I think Charlie Brown Jr. got time, too. But yeah, I mean, that's how you got chalked up with the loss. The Kings, they were all over the place in terms of points. But Terrence Davis was the guy. This guy went off in the previous two games, and he went in and dominated yet again. He had 27 points, shooting 9 of 15 from the floor, and went 5 of 7 from 3. Had DeLon Wright right behind him, went 5 of 7 from 3, had 21 points, 8 assists, and Buddy Heald also hit 5 threes, took 11 shots, and got 21 points and 6 assists. So, that was big for them, for the Thunder. I mean, that second half was a nightmare. They went from 62% uh, to overall, like, 46. So, if you want to go on averages, I mean, they were shooting in 30 second half, probably. And from three, they were at 39%, but they only made three, or, excuse me, only made nine triples. So, it wasn't all that much. Kenrich Williams was the guy, though. He had 20 points. Dagnall was kind of hyping him up. Everyone was saying how he's kind of been the guy in the locker room. Uh, we heard that... Kenrich Williams was actually vying to stay on the team during the trade deadline, and that's that's pretty big news because not a lot of guys want to stay here, Like, uh, especially like when we're tanking. This guy could have been on the Lakers, Clippers, whatever. Obviously, probably would have cost a first-round pick. I don't know if anyone would have done that. He probably is worth one, like protected, but yeah, I mean, he just wanted to stick around. That's what the rumors were saying. 
and looks like everybody loves him. So I went out, got his 20 points. Right behind him was Bays. He had 18 points, five boards, and five assists. Went three of 13 from the field, though. So he had to go to the free throw line to get all his points. 10 of 12 from the line. And then Speed Mikai Luke went seven of 14 for 14 points, no threes. And Moses Brown, Tony Bradley, and Alexei Pokashevsky all were able to get 10 points on the game. Moses Brown was the big one, though. He had 10 points and 13 rebounds. So that game ended, and you were you were good to go. Like, you were just moving on with the week. I think another big game was happening on Tuesday. I might be a little bit fogged up in the memory uh, here, but there was a big game, and it was between the Pistons and the Timberwolves. And the Pistons, they didn't want to play anybody in this game. They did not play... Frank Jackson, Hamadou Diallo, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, you name it, outside of like Sadiq Bey, Killian Hayes, and Isaiah Stort, they were not playing for the team. So even like veterans like Wayne Ellington and stuff, I think he's a legit injury, but they just weren't playing anybody. And the Timberwolves had everyone on the roster, so they got that W, and it was pretty big because it got them their 21st win, and it got them to a tie for third place because they were just a game away from the Timberwolves before. I think that happened Monday, because I do remember kind of talking about it, but maybe it did not, but that's just a little bit of a preface. Not sorry for reiterating it, but I just thought that was kind of important to get out of the way. But here's the big deal that happened. Wednesday, major, major game. This probably got covered. Um, I don't think it was mainstream news, though. I know on Twitter, I saw a lot of stuff about it. I might have chimed in myself, too. But there was this game between the Cavs and the Celtics. And the Celtics, they're down right now. They don't have Jason Tatum. They don't have, I think, um, Kemba Walker. Yeah, like, like guys like that. They're just down of a lot of different people. But they're still in that playoff hunt. Like, they're going to be in the play-ins. And you know, the Cavs, they, they're actively trying to lose their games right now. So the game tips off. I didn't even think anything of it. Like, I just assumed the Cavs were going to lose out. I mean, they have 21 wins at the time, and we have 21 wins. The Magic have 21 wins. The Timberwolves then had 21 wins. And it's like, yeah, there's no, there's no way on earth that they're going to take this W. But they go in there, and... I mean, this was just a major game. So we know the history, Celtics. We played them without, you know, some of their core guys. We won 119 to 115. It was kind of just really weird out of uh, out of nowhere. And the same thing kind of repeated itself where the Cavs, they mounted a double-digit lead on the Celtics. I think it was like the second or third quarter. And they weren't really able to get off of that. And you could tell on some of the rotations that were going on, they didn't necessarily want to win. And I think I jacked up. I meant to say Jalen Brown was hurt, by the way, not Jason Tatum. But um, yeah, I mean, they got their their lead and they held on to it. And it was a big surprise because the Celtics, they have Tatum, Fournier, Thompson, Aaron Naismith, who's looked good. Grant Williams was playing. Peyton Pritchard, he lit us up when we played uh, in that, that last game that we somehow managed to win. But they had guys. And they just weren't able to perform. Like the Cavs, they had Kevin Love, Dean freaking Wade. This guy played 28 minutes in the game. Broderick Thomas playing 34 minutes in a game. Damian Dotson, I think he's all right, but are you going to play him 25 minutes? Probably not. 
just guys along that line, and even freaking Anderson Verajao got to play, like, you know, you saw this signing a couple weeks ago, it's like, that's got to be a nice gesture, there's no way they're going to, no, you're going to play them against the Boston Celtics, so, it just goes to show you, like, what was going on with them, but, um, the main deal was they had that lead, and it was because of Kevin Love, Kevin Love was playing out of his mind, this was the guy that was throwing in bounce passes to, I think the Toronto Raptors just, like, slapping the ball in, walking to the sideline, now he's getting minutes, and he is unstoppable, and he got up to 30 points in the game at 14 rebounds, 3 assists, he got pulled out with the final 4 minutes to go, and they were already up like 9, 10 points, they just had to hold on for dear life, and by that I mean we had to, Cavs, they didn't want to win this game, at least the fans did not, but they kept working at it, the Boston Celtics did not have a run in them, and they took the win, they won 102-94, to and look at that, lucky number 22, so get them out of the race, third place, nah man, you're looking at a tie for fifth, because we still have a little deal we're, we're doing with the, uh, with the Orlando Magic, so for what has been like absolute hell for a month, us being stuck at 21 wins with, um, you know, with these guys, the Cavs, it's over, it's over, so now they are with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they get to deal with that, you know, and they pick up another win can look at sixth place even worse odds for them so it's kind of a big smack in the face i think they were looking at like a almost a double digit losing streak it might have been more but it, i mean it was really bad for them like and i think the fans were loving it they need someone to pair along with sexton garland i don't even know what um you know the the talk of the town is on some of those guards because you know there's talks like garland doesn't pass sexton doesn't pass kind of ugly there a core looks good but they want to get more pieces obviously they want to get that kind of core frame together paired along those three i talked about maybe even jared allen in the mix and there's options in this draft class where they can do that give some flexibility not just for uh you know like a kuminga or an evan mobley that fits in their positions but even if they get a guard they can move away one of garland or sexton and get some sort of assets back you know is it going to be at a reduced rate probably so but they'll get some some value there so yeah they want to make their picks bad this was clearly not good for them but this was amazing for us like this was the most excited i have been watching a game in a long long time like it was, it was very crazy but yeah i mean that was the main deal that happened and then um kind of get a little break in the action thursday get your two-day break in um between games but there was this little snippet that needs to be talked about, and it comes from Omer Yurt7. This is a guy who, if you've been listening to me uh, since really February, because that's when he got into the main stage with the blue, I have been raving about this guy, and I did articles upon articles on these, these guys. All 15 games, the blue games, I covered them, and quite frankly, I think I'm, you know, I don't want to toot my own horde here, but... I don't know many other people who watch start to finish all 15 of those games like talked about it recaps I don't know um but I feel like I know a lot about these guys and Omer Yurt 7 dude he's legit this was the person that I had in that conversation for the original two-way contract went to Jalen Horde not mad about that at all 
But then we got into the Darius Miller guys getting waived, Justin Jackson getting waived. There's an extra roster spot. Omer Yurt 7 should have been on top of that list. It should have been him or Dante Hall. That's kind of that's kind of my consensus because I talked about it. I wrote an article about it. You guys can check it out if you want to. But Dante Hall, very athletic, very athletic as a center. And I think he would have worked as a role man. Doesn't have a shot to him, but super athletic. Like I'm talking Christian Wood of the G League. Not going to shoot the ball like Christian Wood though. But there was potential with him. And Omer Yurt 7... He's not like Dante Hall. He's not super flashy, but he's a traditional big that if he can shoot the ball is going to be very effective at the next level. So I would have loved that pickup. We flaked out on him. We got Justin Robinson, whatever. He was still on the market. And then we got Charlie Brown Jr. And we just, we just let go of him. I mean, this was a piece who I think genuinely, if you took Moses Brown out of the equation, you would have yielded the exact same results with Omer. He was ridiculous off the bench. Averaging 15.2 points, 9.3 rebounds, 1.5 assists, you know, 1.3 blocks. Doing it in 21 minutes, not even playing the full half of the game. It was Moses Brown's show, but, you know, watching that bench unit, you would have thought that that was the core roster. Omer Yurt 7 held it down with them. I think along with that, you got guys like Rob Edwards and hell, even Jalen Horde was playing backup at some times, but that second unit was powerful. This this is just like the most stacked G League team I've ever seen before, uh, and I'm not joking. Like they didn't even make the playoffs. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm dead serious. I mean, these guys were legitimate as it gets. So this signing was really good for them. Um, like as I talked about, you know, when I discuss these guys, and I kind of left them on the back burner because there's just no point, really. But the whole Moses Brown conversation and Omer Yurt 7 conversation, it was a serious debate before Moses Brown blew up in the league. And I'm going to kind of check over like what I said. Uh, and this is back March 3rd. You can check um, Kyle Singler for MVP.com. I'm changing the domain name soon, though, guys, because it is a pretty ugly domain name to have, I'm going to be honest. But... Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to kind of check check here. I mean, this was just my evaluation on both of them. You know, Moses Brown, dominant. I think this was like midseason. There might have been like one game left, but he was averaging around 20 points, 14 rebounds a game, like two blocks a game. Ridiculous. And my main deal was if he's going to be able to play against bigger size guys on a daily basis, he'll be good. But if not, probably not going to be there because he was all athleticism in the G League, he was all about using his size, he'd set you a high ball screen, he would never go out to the mid-range, kind of the exact same play we've seen from him, but when he had guys like 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", on a game-to-game basis, they stood no chance, you had to double-team them, triple-team them, and even at that, I mean, these are G League players, like, yeah, obviously there's a lot of gyms, um, especially with the new two ways, you can kind of pan them out a lot easier, but at the time, like, There were a lot of good gyms, but also it's the G League. So, you know, for one reason or another, there's some areas that need to get refined. And for some of the young guys, like fouling Moses Brown was just kind of instinctual. And I think even at the NBA level, it's the exact same. Like when you have a guy 7'2", 7'4", wingspan, swinging his arms up right under the rim for a dunk, and you are like six to eight inch shorter than him, yeah, you're going to hack him. You're going to make him earn at the line. But he was very good at the free throws for the most part. And it was either him just throwing the ball, like paddling it back and forth across that rim 
for offensive rebounds or getting it and getting getting hacked really or even like some dump off passes but his main deal was just asserting himself right around the rim and boy oh boy he was great but my thing was you can't move up in the in, you know the grand scheme against bigger guys it's not going to work out Moses Brown though I think overall he's been able to do that looked great to start out kind of slowed down a bit but he still looked pretty productive maybe as a bench piece down the line but the thing that I said in my comparison with Moses Brown to Yurt 7 was I think Brown has that boomer bust potential Yurt 7 I didn't really think so because with Brown athletic very lean and a lot of his game just kind of depends on positioning and just outperforming someone like athletically yurt seven doesn't have that distinct skill where he's slashing the basket doing all of that he's more of like a face-up guy who yeah he can drive in for a dunk but you're not going to see any posterizers with this guy like he's not going to be brute forcing his way down low posterizing people off of back downs like that's not really yurt seven but he was kind of using the same role under coach, I think it was Grant Gibbs. I swear, if it was Garrett Gibbs, it was Grant Gibbs. You know what? I know that for a fact, I remember. But um, yeah, I mean, under Grant Gibbs, it's kind of the same deal. Like just set a high ball screen, a roll to the basket, and you should be good. That's how it worked as, you know, a bench piece to start out the year. And I'd say the first seven to eight games out of the 14 he played, that's what he did. We did not see the three ball from him. He would set a screen, go around the free throw line. Sometimes he'd pop at the free throw line, and that's where he kind of started everything out. But if not with the free throws, he'd go to the post, and he became very, very good at the post. And he was really good at getting good boxing, um, boxing out his opponents and getting offensive rebounds. This is a stat that will go kind of unnoticed here. But in terms of G League, like offensive rebound percentages of qualified guys, because there's like outliers who played like two games. I don't even want to talk about them. Moses Brown was number one. I think it was 18%. This is off memory, so I might be off a bit. But right behind him was Omer Yurt 7 with 15%. Second best offensive rebounder in the game. So damn efficient, doing the same thing. And you wouldn't have even known on, on like how he was doing. But really good at boxing out. I think he's really good at, you know, being able to just get active to get those boards and, you know, just flick it right back up. He's seven feet tall, seven feet in the G League. That's, a, you know, that's not going to be too common. So he already has that going for him. He just has to flick it back up. But he's really good there. Post game, that's where he worked out. Mid range, right at the free throw line. It worked. But then he got to the three point range. And this was something that was desperately needed. In the back end of the blue season, this is when the cold spell happened. The consistent sharpshooters, they weren't making their shots. Ty Jerome, he wasn't hitting a lot. Pokashevsky, he was ice cold. The two big shooters, though, Rob Edwards and Antonius Cleveland, they were extremely cold. So the guy in line, there was nobody. You know, Jalen Horde's not going to shoot a three for you. Ryan Woolridge at the time, you know, he was good, but like, he didn't really have that game. We, we barely saw him until the back end, like final three games of the year, and he went off. But until then, we didn't see him shoot a lot. And Melvin Frazier Jr. didn't touch the court, so there was not a three-point guy. And Yurt Seven somehow carved himself into that role. And it had to do with Poku leaving, you know, Moses Brown getting off, um, you know, Ty Jerome, just everybody getting pulled. And he was next in line and he killed it. So he went from setting those screens and rolling every time or going to the free throw to top of the key. And he kept launching. He kept launching. 
He was going out of his mind. I think to end the year out, he averaged 30, yeah, 38% from the three-point line. That was ridiculous. And the sample size, yeah, uh, it's not that big, um, obviously, because it's 15 games and he barely, you know, started shooting at the very end. But he was great to end it. Shot 7 of 12 from 3 to end the year. And I think percentage-wise, it's like 58.3%. I'm acting like I don't know. I, I have it right here. But yeah, I mean, he was going off and he was perfect. He was perfect with the team, honestly. Number one guy had a streak where he had 26 points in 21 minutes. And then the very next game, he had 34 points in 35 minutes. Doing it all. Three-point shot. Post hooks. Just right under the basket. It was crazy. And, uh, you know, that's more than anyone else we saw on the team. Like, Moses Brown, believe it or not. He was getting the 20 rebounds. He wasn't getting 34 points, though. He was getting pulled around, like, 24, 26. Never got that high. So... Yurt Seven showed that he was extremely good, and he was only twenty. He's only twenty-two years old. That that's what that's what's kind of crazy with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had that little cavity as I talked about with um, Brown getting pulled. I thought Yurt Seven was the man, but we're not gonna see him anymore. But um, yeah, I think for Miami, this was a great find for them. When you were talking who was left in the G League pool, I think Omer Yurt 7 was the number one guy available. And I think honestly, maybe the Thunder tried to throw him a two-way contract or, or something like that because, um, you know, you had Moses Brown get pulled out. You had that opportunity and we didn't have Tony Bradley at the time. It was, excuse me, uh, it was Al Horford, but yeah, you had the you had the access to him right there, but they let it slip away, and they got Tony Bradley. That's great. I don't think he's gonna get extended past this year. I think Omer Yurt Seven would have been a good guy to at least take on. Like no offense to a guy like Charlie Brown Jr. or Justin Robinson, but I think we got them. Um, you know, not not really having them entirely in the future. And if you guys heard the the story on Charlie Brown Jr. He's actually signed now to like a full multi-year contract with quotes in it. But even at that, I think it's like a training camp job. I think Yurt 7 could have been a steady part of our future. Like as almost like what Al Horford was doing as a dumbed down version. So yeah, it was tough. Like obviously if you guys don't care about Omer Yurt 7, you're listening to this like who cares? Um, But just keep your eye on him. This is the third different dude who came from that blue roster, not on a two-way, not on a full-scale deal, to end up snagging a contract. Chase on Randall did it after two games. He's been playing for the Magic. Jalen Hort, we got him. And now you have Omer Yurt 7. My goodness. If he gets that three-point shot going, he is going to be pretty steady around the league. Even without it, I think the post hook and you know, decent rebounding and positioning, if it sticks to him, he'll be a good role player. But He's a very high floor relatively. If he gets that three, it's going to be a lot, you know, more of an effective guy that they get to play around with. But it was a steal of a pickup. So Miami got a real one. Uh, shows you kind of just the development farm we have going on with um, with the blue roster and just the Thunder roster too. But yeah, it was a sad, it's kind of sad. Like obviously we don't have him in our sights, but to see him go and not just on a 10 day, like this is a, you know, I don't think it's disclosed yet, but it's going to 
probably take like a non-guaranteed or something for next year i'd assume you wouldn't just bring him in with like one game left or something but they were, they're at least going to try him in the playoffs and that's the important part so best of luck uh to your seven i think he's going to kill it in miami but damn that news did did hurt a little bit and you know after that news you had a game to face against the utah jazz and this was one where the jazz if they got the win here and this is from yesterday. They um, they wouldn't would have been pretty steady at the um, the first odds in the West. Like they would have the Suns in their radar, but if they won on Sunday, they would have taken it, and they were able to do it. They didn't even have Donovan Mitchell to do it either. Uh, it was Mike Conley playing very sparsely, like not much at all. Him. Boyan Bogdanovich and Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gobert like one of the best defenders inside in the whole entire NBA Boyan Bogdanovich had 48 points like a week ago so I mean they're still very hot and even without Mitchell they're definitely very good against us and for the Thunder they got Teo back which is great but they didn't have Kenrich Williams they did not have Ty Jerome no SGA so it's pretty clear what was going on here and with it I mean, Utah set the tone, went on a 14-4 run, started with three of those four makes going from the perimeter, and then Oklahoma City got a 9-2 response. A lot of it had to do with Maladone. He had seven, the first seven points for the Thunder, and then they kind of just kept it close, but not scary, like six points maybe, but the Jazz, they kind of got hot at the end of the first, so they were up 30-20, to 20, and then going into that second quarter... You had Svi Luke being the guy for the Thunder. Now, the Jazz, they as a team were still finding buckets, but the only guy hunting down points was Svi. So he goes for nine of the Thunder's first 13 points, layups, pull-ups, three-pointers, whatever you want. It was going in for him, and then it got cut off because Quinn Snyder called the timeout. Svi got pulled from the game. And then the Spies for Utah, Jordan Clarkson, and I guess Derek Favors. I don't know if you'd put him under that, but Jordan Clarkson, probably the best like bench microwave in the league. He goes in, and they went off. Clarkson and Favors both had four points, went on an 8-2 run, and then they were back up double digits. You know, the Thunder, they tried, but they couldn't haggle it down past that. Jazz were up 61-47 to at half, and Utah, they're shooting pretty well, 52% overall. 7 of 16 from a 3, and they got to the line 13 times, making 10. Thunder, they were not that lucky getting free throws, and a lot of the, you know, kind of issues that the Thunder had was the shot selection. They only shot 10 threes, hit 4 of them, and just right around the rim, too. They were struggling against Rudy Gobert, shot just 42%. So the big deal was, if you're going to fix this, you need to be able to kind of get by this especially in the interior get the points in the paint and then go out to three maybe even in the other order but you needed one of those two to go in because you're not going to win off of like mid ranges or whatever and um needless to say it didn't work out too well and they had a little bit of hope to start they had six um six points in the first like minute and then they could not score for five straight they missed nine field goals in a row the jazz weren't all that like they weren't on fire or anything but they were pretty constant the whole way through 
So the Thunder, they're freezing cold. The Jazz make like four or five field goals. And next thing you know, they're up 23 freaking points. That's way too much. You're not going to really like get get a, right out of that with 15 minutes left in the game. We've seen it too many times. It's pretty much already a blowout. Um, and the Thunder, they're able to kind of help a little bit at the end because they hit nine field goals overall. But it still wasn't pretty. Like, they were done. They were out 92-66 to 66 starting that fourth quarter. And then it was just typical fourth quarter Thunder basketball. Play the benches and, yeah, get your Gatorades and kind of set, set for next game, I guess. Get your pep talk. But that's what it was. Um, and, you know, it was not a, not a lot of stuff. Like, Gabrielle Deck was playing the whole way through charlie brown jr was playing all the whole way through deck had 12 points in the quarter like mid-ranges fadeaways it's kind of just rec league stuff going on like not a ton of aggression but yeah um jazz were able to walk out pretty easy here 109 to 93 so as i mentioned they're good on that first seed thunder the dream is still alive still tied for the third spot one game to go past this so yeah, that, that was kind of just the talk, but um, yeah, so they got their goal, the Jazz got their goal, and you know, kind of seemed like a handshake deal, just get it over with, but for the Jazz, a lot of it um, just had to do with some of their core members, Bojan Bogdanovic, I don't even know I botched that up, but you know, he went off, he had 22 points, and then there were other guys down the line who were pretty solid, they had five guys for Utah in double digits, but the primary two around those were Jordan Clarkson and Rudy Gobert. So Jordan Clarkson always is asserting himself, had 18 points, going 7 of 18. And then Rudy Gobert had 16 points and 18 rebounds. Moses Brown couldn't do anything. And it wasn't just rebound-wise, like shotguns ass wise No one could get near this guy. It was very rough for the Thunder. And because of that, like they were just very hesitant. You saw a lot of empty possessions where they drained... 20 seconds off the clock and chuck a shot in a, you know a ton of ton of coverage and because of it they only had i think 13 assists on this game yeah that, that's really really low that's probably a season low maybe even the whole entire league spectrum because that's terrible but they also had 15 turnovers so this is like one of those deals where always stress we got more turnovers than assists probably not going to go your way yeah, uh, I think even if you take out the turnovers, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, they just did not work really as a unit, and I'm not going to blame it on them. Like, this is such a makeshift lineup you see going in and out of the Thunder right now with Maladone finally getting returned, but then you got no Kenridge, no guards whatsoever. You want to play Charlie Brown Jr. half the game. It's like there's not a real kind of... Um, I don't know, identity right now, and also Dort's not playing, that's pretty damn important too, but you just don't really have that kind of uh, key person to lean on, I guess you could say, so Svima Kailuk was the guy who out of all of them was pretty solid, had 19 points on 8 of 14 shooting, did well from 3, went 3 of 4, and then you kind of drop down in terms of efficiency. Teo Maladone, I think he was all right. He went 7 of 16 overall, had 3 assists and 2 steals to get 18 points. And for him, it was just all about spots, really. I mean, he went 2 of 2 from the right wing, 0 of 3 from the left wing. And that bread and butter, like free throw line, floater, runner, whatever, was not going in either. So it was not the most efficient for him. 
But, um, you know, 18 points, you're not really going to be complaining about that anyways. And he kind of mentioned after the game how it was a good opportunity to learn, playing against one of the best defenders. You already know who that is. It's Rudy Gobert. But, yeah, just take it as another opportunity and move on, I guess. Gabriel Deck, he was uh, great. Uh, he ended up getting a new career high of 18 points. Now, in the first half where you have, like, lockdown defense only at six points but uh that back that back fourth quarter with the 12 points that's really good and as i talked about like these are the shots that coaches would hate taking now like a 23 foot two point shot turnaround fadeaway jumpers the three-pointer looks you know for lack of better words like kind of ugly this was a known thing like a set shot isn't cute at all um, but it's just up and going in for him and then driving. You don't see a lot of opportunities. But when you kind of had it broken down where it's bench versus bench and it wasn't all about strategy and stuff, just pure basketball, he was very good. So I see that as kind of a positive note. Like, you know, in a neutral setting where it's not, you know, kind of everyone has their own sets and deck is still kind of learning. Take that out of the way. He's, he's probably the best player in that quarter. So kind of a, a green light for him I really loved what I saw and then uh, kind of surrounding him Jalen Horde at nine points I loved it Pokashevsky not great uh only went three of ten but ended up getting nine rebounds I think the only real like sour note on the team was Baisley and it was because Rudy Gobert was not letting anything go through and even Derek Favors to an extent no easy layups not even free throws were going his way no free throws on the game shot one of 13 overall a of four from three so this was really just um kind of showing you what the flaw in Baisley's game is and it's you know as of right now he has not been able to just rely on one or the other like adjustment wise you don't really see it a lot I think the free throw line has kind of been the uh exception to that but on a basis of you know, taking layups or taking threes, you don't see it just, you know, from one or the other seamlessly in the middle of a game, it switches. It never happens that way. It's, you see kind of the trends early on and it just stays that way, especially in that first quarters where, where he normally gets like 10 points and then it'll slow down just like that. Pretty much, you know what you're getting in him past like the first six minutes of the game. And that was just one of them could never really rattle Rudy Gobert, and because of that, you don't get the calls you want, but um, with that, like, as I mentioned, they, they're flipping the page on the next game against the Clippers, and I'll talk more about that tomorrow, obviously, I should be good to go, because now, you know, I'm back to doing daily, um, but yeah, that that's a real big deal to be looking for, but one guy that I'm surprised about is Charlie Brown Jr., and he got signed to a contract, um, multi-year deal, finished his second 10-day contract today, uh, this might get posted, I think technically like Sunday morning, because the time zone crap, but yeah, like, he got signed today, and it was a little bit of a head-scratcher, like, why would you need this guy, and the only real, like, thing I can chalk up is, maybe i think it's just g league rights and also they're playing the clippers who might be tanking tomorrow so you could use him for a pretty big uh pretty big role but he's coming in i think he's already like 24 years old but 
I guess you need more wings in his time with the team. Like he has been not really like a star per se. He's kind of just been there. He's had times where he's looked all right, but I wouldn't say like overwhelmingly he's been like amazing. He's averaged 4.1 points, 1.8 rebounds, 0.9 assists. It doesn't pop off the page for me, but I think that um, maybe it's just a future move because you get him for this game. At a minimum, it's going to be a training camp, and there's no way on earth this is a guaranteed deal. You didn't do it for Moses Brown. You didn't even do it for Gabrielle Deck. This guy's not going to be making um, any guaranteed money next year. I I can be affirmative on that. We don't even know the details, but it's got to be something along those lines. So probably just get him in, and I expect it to be just like everybody else, like uh, TJ Leaf, Schofield, Frank Jackson. You know, they're not afraid to kind of cut somebody, um, even when there is money attached, as shown with like TJ Leaf and stuff. But... um, yeah, I think they just want to see, and obviously you can kind of lean on him if um, the draft picks don't go your way and you don't want to use all of them. He is an easy roster spot you can fill back up, but yeah, if not, he's a safety blanket, and clearly they like him enough to the point that they want him on the blue roster next year. Will he go overseas? Will someone pick him up? I don't know about NBA right now. I don't know if he's going to get a contract with another squad, but maybe someone will try to get him on a another deal or something like that just to get him because he is a pretty interesting player in terms of the defensive upside he has. He's very good uh, in the passing lanes or just picking people's pockets. Three-point wise, he looked good in the G League. Hasn't shaped out amazing yet. So I, I think they just want to see more of him. Uh, so yeah, they'll they'll use him and they'll make a decision. I'm going to trust Presti. I'll trust Dagnalt. But yeah, they're bringing him in. I, I thought it was weird, but uh, you know, maybe this was just the plan all along. Fill out your 15th roster spot and move forward. Um, so he'll get to play, and it was expected. He just wouldn't play against the Clippers. Now he, of course, can, and he should be playing a lot because the lottery uh, is going to depend a lot on this because you lose here, and at worst, you're talking a two-way tie with the Orlando Magic for the third-best odds. And that can change. I mean, everybody's playing tomorrow. You got the Pistons playing, the Orlando Magic are playing. And with that, like, you know, the Orlando Magic lose, you got the tiebreaker all to yourself. And if the Detroit Pistons lose, now you are talking a three-way tie for second place. So the odds just get a little bit better for you. So you will definitely take that. Um... But yeah, of course you need to lose the game like the Clippers did the most blatant tank job I've seen in my life against the Houston Rockets. They had Jay Scrub play 40 minutes, and I don't even know like a real track record on him. I've heard the name, but like, who is Jay Scrub? How is he playing 40 minutes? I don't think he's playing before. And Patrick Patterson played 30 minutes. Like, you know it's bad. Um, when you have to play Patrick Patterson 10 minutes, this is based off of my previous history, of course, like just how, you know, the bad taste in my mouth I got from him, but damn, playing 30 minutes, dude, you gotta do a little bit of a better job not showing your cards all out on the table, like we can do it because we're young, like the whole roster is super young, Clippers, they got championship aspirations, you can't be telling me Patrick Patterson's gonna be playing, and 
they had like Marcus Morris play two, two or four minutes or something terrible like that. Just a little bit of a teaser for Adam Silver not to, you know, serve him a punishment or something. And they, they're probably not going to get one. Like, everyone's tanking. Everyone's, like, losing games. There's so many just weird, wacky things. Not just at the bottom of the standings, but also at the top. So, I expect, like, you know, not really anything to happen of it. But it was just, you know, uh, a real sight to see. Kind of tracking that game and being like, wow. And um, I don't know exactly, like, if they will be taking the injury report and keeping it. Because they're not going to play as currently stands it's not you're not gonna see Kawhi, no pg reggie jackson just anyone you can think of they're probably not playing and maybe they adjust it because they want to get a w and secure themselves to not play the la lakers i think they've already done that technically if that's the case they might just try to run it get a quick momentum booster against us and go on their way but maybe that's not what they kind of have their eyes set on so we'll see what happens tomorrow i'll get you guys up to date with that and hopefully i'll have more news to talk to you guys about but other than that though guys that is going to wrap up today's episode i really really apologize for not talking to you all um you know i I said it on twitter but i probably should upload like a snippet on here or something because i know i left a lot of people waiting um you know (sighs) As I'm talking about, you know, I'm sick. I just got that crazy voice crack. But, yeah, I mean, it's been really sick. Like, hopefully it gets better. You know, it's not anything. It's not COVID. You know, I got tested. It's just common cold. But you still got to stay safe. So, yeah, I've been doing that. The voice, hopefully it sticks. You know, this is kind of hell talking (laughs) for 45 minutes. So, hopefully I'm not super sore. But we'll see you tomorrow. So I'll get you guys for the season finale against the Clippers. It's so weird saying that because, you know, this is like just been a cycle. And it's been crazy. But I got that little vacation out of the way in the last week. Like, it's so weird. But I'm going to make sure to try to get you guys episodes tomorrow, uh, Monday, and hopefully, you know, throughout that. I don't know, daily, every single day in the off season, because that, you know, be like, why would I want to listen to, like, just random stuff, I feel like it'd just be scratching, you know, chalk, or scratching your fingernails on a chalkboard, but, yeah, I'll try to do that, I'll definitely get you guys more information, try to cram, like, guest stars in over the summer, that's the intention, but I'll get to talking about all that um, in the coming weeks, but other than that, though, guys, I really appreciate you guys sticking around, um, for this episode hopefully i didn't lose any of you guys in this past week like i was kind of fearing that a bit but yeah really appreciate you guys uh supporting and i am really happy to talk to you guys next time so other than that that's gonna wrap it up but um yeah i will uh i'll talk to you all next time see you guys